Listener-supported KFUO invites you to listen live to our annual share It's your opportunity to show your support to KFUO. If you can't join us live, please prayerfully consider supporting us by calling 314-996-1518 and asking about our giving levels. You can also click the Give Now button on our webpage. Share 2017, April 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks for our friends at Concordia University, the great work they do there, and for supporting us here on Worldwide KFUO, particularly for supporting Faith and Family, so we can share these great stories with you that uh, that pertain to faithful family life. We have a great resource for you today as well to support you and those you may know who are affected by uh, sexual assault, violence, domestic violence, uh, a very helpful resource indeed, and we'll talk with the author of this great resource. want to let you know about Sherathon, Sherathon 2017, coming up Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You can join us right here on KFUO, AM850 in St. Louis, KFUO.org online as well. And uh, join us for Sherathon. Pledge your support to help KFUO continue to bring the good news of Jesus to listeners around the world. Joining me by phone today, Holly Shear. She's the author of Hope and Healing, a Bible Study. Holly, welcome back to Faith and Family. Thank you for having me. A joy and a delight to have you with us today. The uh, The Bible study we're talking about today, Hope and Healing, a Bible study that shares Christ's comfort with those affected by sexual assault, domestic violence, uh, a, a an in-depth resource, really, to uh, to help someone through um, coping with the feelings and the the uh, all that ensues after uh, experiencing something as um, as as difficult and as as violent as, as sexual assault or domestic violence. When you first were uh, approached to to prepare this Bible study, what were your thoughts as you were thinking about what am I going to write about? What is it that um, what can I bring from God's Word? What is what is it that I can share with others that would help them through this difficult time? What were your thoughts as you were starting to prepare for writing this Bible study? The first thing I did was I went and kind of pulled out all of the other pan-Christian resources on this subject, and there really aren't terribly many. And then I read through them, and I noticed that all of them had this terrible confusion of law and gospel, which probably isn't surprising for Reform and Evangelical resources. And so my big thought was that it was just going to be so important to properly balance the gospel and the law and really be comforting and just let people know that, you know, the church is there for them in situations like this. So there really was a shortage of, uh, there was no existence that you found of resources that really let the law and gospel do their things, uh, do what they do appropriately, but rather uh, well-intending, I'm sure, when, when people were preparing, preparing resources um, from other confessions, but none of them really brought that, that comfort of Christ, it sounds like. No, not at all. And none of them really pointed people back towards the means of grace. You know, they didn't talk about communion. They didn't talk about baptism. They didn't talk about what God has done for us. It kept pointing people back toward 
what we can do and what we can choose. And especially when you are dealing with something like sexual assault and rape and domestic violence, I think it is so important to, at that point, turn people toward what God has done for them and what God continues to do for them. How did you, this seems like a daunting task then. There, there are no resources that, that approach this topic of, of domestic violence, sexual assault in a, a law gospel manner. How did you then go about this daunting task of uh, bringing Christ's comfort in his word to those who have experienced this? Um, I sat and I read a lot of Luther and his commentary on the Psalms first, and then I went through and kind of worked backwards on it. I picked Bible verses and hymns to use, and then from there I researched pretty heavily, you know, the scriptures and how those have been used before and how it fits in with kind of the framework of helping people heal from these kind of things. And it was a big project. I'm really happy with how it turned out. What are the facts regarding domestic violence and sexual assault today, particularly, you know, just looking at the United States alone? What are some of the facts that we know? What did you know about domestic violence and sexual assault as you were preparing this study? Um, One in six women has been sexually assaulted in the U.S. today, which means that when you turn and look around, you know, your family group and your congregation and your friends outside of the church, that someone in your life has been sexually assaulted and really needs to hear about Christ's mercy in this. And about 25% of women and 7.6% of men actually have been um, a victim of domestic violence. So that's really terribly common as well. So I think the big thing to remember is this affects all of our churches. This affects all of our families. You know, there are so many people really needing hope and God's love. When one experiences uh, domestic violence or, or a sexual assault, in whom do they usually confide first? If, if they do confide in someone, who is the, the person in whom they confide first? Usually people confide in close relatives or in friends. Um, usually it's more common to confide in friends if the violence has come from, you know, someone within your own family. Um, and eventually, hopefully, people will confide in their pastor and in law enforcement and hopefully receive good medical care. But the primary contact is usually friends and family. So then it makes all the more sense to equip lay people and pastors alike with uh, such a valuable resource, a Bible study to bring Christ comfort to to those who have experienced uh, sexual assault, domestic violence. So what particularly can, can pastors do to help? How can pastors help someone who has been a victim of sexual assault or domestic violence? Well, many of our pastors serve in very rural communities, and they're a huge blessing for those communities just as a solid figure. And some communities, especially the very small ones, don't really have good secular resources for helping people heal from any sort of, you know, bad event in their life, let alone something like this. In a community like that, a pastor can really step forward to be, you know, a listening ear to help them coordinate with medical care, to provide some counseling if they feel comfortable, to, you know, 
offer confession, absolution, and private communion, and kind of all of the tools that a pastor has at their disposal. In a bigger community where there might be some, you know, more resources in the community, the pastor can act more as just a pastor and listen and be there and offer really Christ for people. Are there others who also might be a help when someone has faced sexual assault or domestic violence? Um, absolutely. Counselors, doctors, um, if you're in a community blessed to have like a deaconess or a DCE, um, really caring and concerned people just in their church family who want to help people feel safe and loved can help. It doesn't have to be a trained professional. It just has to be someone who is willing to unconditionally love and support another person. Let's talk more about the the Bible study that you've written. It's uh, it's not just like a one page Bible study. This is an extensive resource to to use over a, a period of time. Tell me a little bit about how it's how it's laid out, how it's designed. I noticed there are uh, there are several aspects to it. For example, there are several hymns included in this resource. Uh, tell me about why you used hymns. You know, I'm a Lutheran, and so I love hymns. Um, I tried to pick hymns that people could kind of sing themselves if they're musically inclined or even if they're not and no one's listening and, you know, they're not worried about that. Um, hymns really teach us, and they teach us through repetition. And if you learn something and you find it comforting and then you hear it in church, you can sing it when you're upset, it really gives you something good to focus on, and it really... So many of our hymns have wonderful reminders of God's mercy for us. The nice thing about hymns are the the melodies that help us carry those words of Christ's comfort with us wherever we go. Yes, absolutely. In the Bible study, there there was uh, there were several things that stood out for me. There was one statement that I thought was was profound and would like for you to elaborate on. That is, while sexual assault is always evil, that evil or that evil event does not define you, nor does it control you. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, It's really tempting for the world to tell people that it is the bad things that happen to us that make us who we are, that when something bad happens to you, that you can never shake, you know, that victimhood status. But we as Christians know a totally different truth, and that truth is, We are defined in Christ. We are defined in our relationship in Christ. God sees us through Christ, not through all the bad things that have happened to us. And I think it is really important to maybe shift some of that focus from the bad things that have happened to, you know, Christ came and we just passed Easter here. He died on the cross and he rose again and he did that for you. And he did that for every single bad thing that has happened to you. Isn't it interesting how we let other things around us define us, but rather it is it is God. It is God in Christ Jesus who defines us, not an evil event. Yes, absolutely. How might a violation such as rape or sexual assault affect one's faith? 
You know, we, we think of how it certainly affects them emotionally or, or physically. There are, um, you know, many things that come to mind when we think of that. But what about one's faith? How does it affect one's faith and their, uh, their, their beliefs, their, their spirituality? Unfortunately, it can come along with the um, inclination to kind of isolate yourself, including from the church. And some people blame God. And, you know, it can really be a difficult thing for people to overcome with their faith, especially if the care of those around them kind of makes it sound like it might have been their fault or that, you know, if they had been a better person, this wouldn't have happened to them. It can really turn people even more inward in a negative fashion. And so where does that leave one, you know, if, if they feel that it was their fault, um, where does that often leave them when it comes to reaching out for help or, or confiding in someone else? It makes it even harder. It makes, you know, the shame and the guilt and just the horrible pain so much harder if people blame themselves for something that they had no control over. And again, this is a place where the church and pastoral care can really excel because what do we do when someone is hurting and when they're carrying terrible guilt? We offer them Christ's forgiveness, and that is something so wonderfully offered in the church. Tell me about the gospel reminders. As I look over the the layout of these Bible studies, the each one includes, well, concludes with gospel reminders. Tell me where the idea for this began and, and it, what you were thinking as you decided to include these in the Bible study. I tried to lay out each chapter, session, or whatever you want to call it, with a hymn, with a Bible verse, with a short meditation, um, with some questions a prayer, and then the gospel reminders. And I kind of wanted the gospel reminders to pull in everything that had been talked about and help people process those and maybe then have something short that you can either print out or write down and keep with you throughout the week of just a really concise reminder of, you know, where your standing is with God, how you are forgiven, Um, that you are baptized, that, you know, Christ died for you and he died for this as well. And I thought it was, you know, maybe helpful to have something just when things are bad that is really short and accessible to look at. But these aren't just platitudes. These really have, while they're brief, there's depth to each one, for example, just the, the one of the first ones, your worth as a child of God is not diminished. There's depth to that. It's not just a simple platitude, smile, God loves you sort of thing. There's depth to it. Well, thank you. But yeah, I try to stay away from, you know, fortune cookie theology, <laughs> is what I like to call it, where, you know, you could print it on a little slip of paper and stick it inside someone's roll and they'd be like, oh, wonderful. You know, that really doesn't help anyone. We have so much of just wonderful words from God, and I think it really cheats people when we make it stupid. Can I say that? Well, well, I think this is so much more than than an affirmation that's not, uh, that's not rich, that's not 
um, deeply rooted in God's Word. Sometimes when we try to sum up God's Word in just a short statement, it loses its depth. But, you know, statements like that make me want to dig deeper and ask more, well, why is my worth as a child of God not diminished? Makes me want to ask more. That was my goal. Jesus lived a perfect life for you, and he died for you. This means you are enough because of him, not because of anything you do or don't do. That's, uh, that's the Easter gospel we just heard. Yes. This is actually kind of a perfect conversation to be having right after Easter, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. There were, throughout this study, there were several things that seemed like they were repeated, several themes that were repeated throughout this study. Um, you know, th- there are several sessions throughout the study as well. I think there are, what, uh, nearly 10, I think, or more? Let me... There are several... Uh, There's 12. 12. That's a good number. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, But there are several themes that repeat throughout these studies. Why, why repeat these themes so much throughout the studies? I think repetition teaches, and I think repetition is actually really comforting. I mean, that's one of the benefits of having a liturgy, right, is we hear things over and over and over again. It sinks in. And then also from a psychological standpoint, when you hear positive things, when you hear true things, when you hear the gospel over and over and over again, it's there in your mind and it is present in your mind. And so the really important messages I tried to repeat very deliberately, um, that way they're there for people. One thing that I noticed as I read through this study, and I really, as I started it, I couldn't put it down. Sometimes when I, I think perhaps sometimes as Lutherans, we may be guilty of this. Sometimes we, we put emotions aside or on a back burner, especially when we're thinking theologically. Sometimes we think uh, or, or think or act like our, uh, our teaching, our theology is almost almost void of emotion that 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 there is no emotion about it for fear that we might confuse uh emotions with the word of god and that that uh, for fear that our faith might be rooted in emotion rather than the word of god but what i found as i studied through this uh, as i read through this is that that it, it certainly does not do that it does not you didn't put emotions aside but dealt with them rather in, in a very appropriate way, dealt with them in a very helpful way. Can you, can you explain or, or talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I, anybody knows kind of the frozen chosen, that's what we're talking about here, right? <laughs> Accusation about Lutherans that we're closed off and we totally deny feelings and, you know, we sit there like lumps in our pews. Well, we have plenty of emotions and... I think Lutherans are a little nervy right now about delving into mysticism because it is so prevalent outside of Lutheran circles, you know, that your emotions lead you toward a closer understanding of God and a closer relationship with him. And we're just like, no, we don't really want any part of that. But your emotions aren't a terrible thing all the time. You know, your emotions are also a gift from God here. 
God made every single part of you, including your emotions. And so I think when we are talking about healing from something bad that has happened in your life, it's important to also address how your emotions are through that process and how God can help you with those emotions. Particularly if the way in which we are hurt so deeply affects us emotionally, so deeply affects our, I I mean, the whole person, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I think you, you dealt with those feelings very appropriately. Granted, every person is going to be different in how they react to uh, the, the domestic violence or, or sexual assault, but uh, you take that into consideration in this study and recognize that you know you, you may have feelings like this or you may have feelings like that. That's okay. Let's 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 work through those, particularly with, you know, with a counselor or a qualified professional who can help you work through those rather than just totally dismissing those feelings. I talked to a lot of women, um, kind of through the national church, through my network of friends and everything who have been through a sexual assault or domestic violence. And I asked them, you know, how did you feel at this point and how did you feel at this point and what did people do that helped and what did people do that made it worse and did you talk to your pastor and how did that go did you talk to your congregation and how did that go i tried to pull a lot of really diverse experiences to try to catch as much of you know the possible feelings that a person reading this would have as possible i didn't want this to be a narrow thing that only talked about one sort of experience I really wanted to try to make it as comprehensive as possible. Women certainly are the the, uh, the primary victims in in, in uh, many cases of sexual assault or domestic violence. But men, as you mentioned earlier, are sometimes the, the victims as well. Now, this resource certainly written from the perspective of uh, a, a woman being the victim, but can be used for those cases where a man is a victim of domestic violence as well. Uh, you certainly just uh, need to be mindful of that as you read through the material, particularly if you're using it to help someone else. How do you view a a pastor or a deaconess or, or another professional? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I thought about trying to make all of this a little bit more gender neutral, but it is just such a predominantly larger group of women who have experienced sexual sure. assault than men that I thought that that would be really awkward and cumbersome. Um, if you're using this with a man, just flip the pronouns, you know, she to he, and it should be, it should work. How do you view a, a pastor or a deaconess or a, 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 a other church workers or other professionals using this resource to help someone? Well, first, I'm very thankful for any pastor or church worker who is caring for people in this kind of situation and not choosing to kind of disengage. And second, I'm really happy if they use this and if it is helpful and beneficial for them. Um, I think it is wonderful that pastors try to care for people in really difficult situations. And, you know, in some situations, the pastor is really the only person there who can care for you and who can really go the distance with that. You know, they're not a one-time crisis counselor who are there in the very worst of it, in the thick of it. 
they can really be there to take care of you as a whole person. And I'm just very thankful that we have so many wonderful pastors in our synod. Well, this is very helpful resource. Uh, how are we getting this resource out to pastors, to and to lay people alike that can use this uh, to have this readily available if someone confides in them or they become aware of someone who is, uh, or they themselves have become the victims of uh, domestic violence or sexual assault? Well, first, the resource is absolutely, totally free, um, which I think is really wonderful. We had an email go out to rostered church workers about the study when it was released, and it is available on the LCMS webpage under their domestic violence resources, and you can just download it, and you can print as many copies of it as you want. So I really hope that it can be accessible to as many people as possible. That way, all of the people who need it have a chance to get it. It is very accessible, lcms.org, and uh, you can just search for it there in the the search box on lcms.org. A uh, hope and healing, a Bible study uh, prepared by uh, by Holly Shear, an outstanding resource indeed. Uh, downloaded, have it ready to go. Just print it, have a copy of it, or or save uh, the PDF of it so that you have it readily available. Especially pastors and and other church workers, uh, teachers, have it readily available so that when needed, all you have to do is just click on it or print it up and have it ready to go. Holly, it's been a, a privilege to have you back on Faith and Family today. Thank you so much for the work that you've done in this Bible study and supporting those who are affected by domestic violence and sexual assault. I was happy and honored to write it, and thank you so much for bringing more attention to this study. God's blessings coming up in just a little bit. More Faith and Family. You're listening to The Messenger of Good News on Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. The Supreme Court of Victoria in Australia has made a stunningly bad ruling. They've declared that showing graphic pictures of the victims of abortion is a crime. The court called these images of broken babies disgusting, repulsive, repugnant, and offensive. They're right on all counts, but are dead wrong on what to do about them. The court should rule to end the violence inflicted on these babies that causes these graphic scenes. Graphic imagery was key to ending slavery, Nazi concentration camps, and the Vietnam War. The Supreme Court of Victoria, as well as the U.S. Supreme Court, must get to the root of the problem that causes these horrific pictures. They must end the brutal killing of millions of innocent preborn children. Anything less is aiding the deadly violence. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance, inviting you to join us for Sherathon 2017, April 20 to 22. 
During share 2017, you'll enjoy your favorite guests and program hosts as we celebrate the ministry and mission of Worldwide KFUO. Our annual share is a great time for your continued prayers and support. So celebrate KFUO and have fun with all your radio friends during share 2017, April 20 to 22. This is Pastor John Veeker, Senior Assistant to President Harrison here in St. Louis. Agnus Day Liturgical Arts continues the fine tradition of proclaiming the gospel through Christian art, through the production of altarpieces, paintings, and drawings. Agnus Day Liturgical Arts portrays the gospel in all its splendor. Their website is agnusdayarts.com. That's A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I arts.com. A long-standing tradition at Worldwide KFUO is to broadcast two live worship services for those unable to attend or for those who benefit from hearing God's Word online or on KFUO. From Peace Lutheran Church in South St. Louis County, Missouri, Senior Pastor Dennis Castens leads the worship service at 8 a.m. The live late service at 1045 comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri, where Reverend Tim Ostermeyer is Senior Pastor. Hear the message of mercy and forgiveness during Sunday morning worship on Worldwide KFUO. You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. It's been a little while since we've had an update on what's going in, going on at College Hill right here in St. Louis and the work of Lutheran Housing Support and their partners. Joining me in studio today to provide an update, our friends from Lutheran Housing Support, Nicole Ridley, Chief Executive. Nicole, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to have us again. Glad to have you in studio and uh, always love hearing about what's going on in College Hill. And also the Reverend John Albers, Director of Resource Development for Lutheran Housing Support. John, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to have you in studio, finally. I think every time we've talked, you're always on the run, always out serving somewhere. So nice to have you in the studio today talking about Lutheran Housing Support. For our listeners not familiar with the work of Lutheran Housing Support, Nicole, can you give us just a, a quick overview or rundown of the, the history and the work? Uh, what is the, the, the work of Lutheran Housing Support today? So Lutheran Housing Support, uh, we began our, our official operations in 2007, and we were created to support congregation, social ministries, and districts um, in their desire to improve their communities uh, where they are. Um, and so we provide resources um, and help them identify resources within their, within their community um, and provide guidance and expertise that kind of helps them conceptualize and implement uh, a project that they have in mind that would uh, assist them in improving their community. And when you say project they have in mind, Give us an idea of what some of those, those, some examples of what projects like this might look like. So it could be um, anything uh, as small as the installation of community garden or as large as the acquisition of a a vacant and abandoned building or the um, restoration of an existing building that they own uh, to provide um, housing or any official unmet need Mm -hmm. that exists within their community. Um, An unmet need as it relates to housing or a community and economic associated activity. (laughs) Andy, I like to to say when I talk to congregations, we we fill an expertise gap. Congregations have all sorts of expertise within their congregations or their social ministry organization, and sometimes they have all but one little thing that they need. 
And so our job is to fill that expertise gap. And sometimes it's simply access to capital. And they got all the expertise they need right there, but they don't have the capital. Or they may have the capital, but they don't know what what they're really doing to mm-hmm. get the project underway. And we have the expertise. So our job is to fill that expertise gap. Uh, and, and in every place, it's different. So I really like the idea that Lutheran Housing Support provides that in a customized way. So every project is different in the same way that every community, every congregation, every organization that we help out there is different because their needs are very different. And in all that we do, um, to add to that, what we'd like to see, what what um, kind of sets us apart from other organizations that do this kind of work across the United States, is that whatever we do, um, the work that we do le- leads to Word and Sacrament Ministry. Um, so it's kind of the housing and community development mission of mercy work. Mm-hmm within the communities that we serve or that we assist in our and co- help in our congregations and LCMS partners serve. And right in the heart of College Hill, a uh, neighborhood here in St. Louis, is St. Paul's Lutheran Church. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the where the, the work began with St. Paul's and Lutheran housing support in the College Hill neighborhood. So uh, oh, probably around 2007, uh, St. Paul's, uh, was just a little bit um, concerned about the disinvestment that had been taking place in the community, and it was uh, on a, de- a continuing decline. And uh, they lacked the expertise, but the desire, they had the desire to want to uh, do something about the decline that was taking place. So they contacted our offices and asked, you know, could you assist us in finding ways to improve this community um, and help stabilize and bring it back to where it used to be? And so um, St. Paul's led the way. Um, They made the inquiry and the request, um, and then they became our partner in the work that we are now engaged in uh, for some 10 years now. (laughs) Having visited St. Paul's Lutheran Church College Hill, uh, I would describe the congregation. Well, it's it's a historic congregation. It's been around for many years, but also a <clears throat> a determined congregation. Uh, the you know some of the the key members who are involved in this are very determined to to continue to be a beacon of hope and a, a to continue to keep St. Paul's a word and sacrament ministry in the heart of the neighborhood. Um, so that that the, the gospel of Christ remains present in this College Hill neighborhood. How would it, anything else you would add or, or say about the St. Paul's congregation? Well, not only about St. Paul's congregation, but the neighborhood of which they are a part. St. Paul's and College Hill is not unlike congregations across the country and neighborhoods across the country, where disinvestment, depopulation, and decay has happened over periods of of many, many, many years. And the neighbors, the congregation has seen it happening around them. And they have a strong desire to not only serve in the middle of that community, but rebuild the community and the neighborhood where they are. And they have two choices, really. They can decide to give up and they could leave like so many of the neighbors and the businesses and they could simply close up 
or they could find a way to reinvest in the neighborhood around them. And that's really where the phone call to Lutheran Housing Support and and uh, the people that were involved in Lutheran Housing Support at, at that time especially started up. And so it's, it's that kind of investment that uh, Lutheran Housing Support and and the College Hill Neighborhood Revitalization Initiative is is all about. It's making a different kind of a choice and saying we we envision a different future for our neighborhood and community and therefore a different imagination for for not just our congregation and our ministry but but for our neighborhood and community as well. What are the successes we've seen thus far at at College Hill? So the the successes, I guess it, it really has to do with the fact that it's a multifaceted initiative that that involves taking a, a neighborhood and then even narrowing it down further than just that neighborhood and starting in just a couple of blocks and determining with the residents of that neighborhood, what is it that is truly needed in this neighborhood? And what is it going to take to imagine a different kind of future? And then making a long-term commitment. So as Nicole mentioned, 2007, so that's a decade now. Mm -hmm. And saying, we're in it for the long haul. Uh, It's not going to be turned around in a year or two, but it's for the long haul. And saying, what are those pieces that are going to be there? So the successes. One, it's at, uh, the, it starts with what's technically called blight elimination, and that's simply saying taking and at least in some cases wiping the slate clean, getting rid of that which is simply causing ongoing decay, taking the houses and the structures that are simply falling down and removing them. It's taking the places that is drawing in the crime and drawing in the problems and, and taking over those structures, which is what Lutheran Housing Support has continued to do uh, through when the city of St. Louis is called the Land Reutilization Authority, and taking ownership of those structures, investing in that uh, property, tearing down the abandoned structures, wiping it clean, and getting it ready for reinvestment. That, that's kind of part one, and step one uh, is, is that. Step two is reinvesting in the people. And that involves owner-occupied uh, repair and and of the owner owner-occupied homes that that are there. So in neighborhoods like College Hill, and and College Hill is special in many ways, and it's not special in lots of other ways. <laughs> in that, about half of the homes are owner-occupied, and half of the homes are renter-occupied. So it's helping the people who are there and want to stay there invest in their homes. So owner-occupied repair and and stabilization is the other piece and we're up to about 120 or so homes that wow. we've done over a period of over the last five six seven years it's kind of hard to keep track actually because you get so busy mm-hmm. in doing it that some of the records get lost along the way but best we can figure it's about 120 homes and that's anywhere from a couple of thousand to seven eight thousand dollars of investment into a home and what does year. it what does an investment like that mean what what types of repairs have we seen on the uh, the homes that are owned by the uh, the occupants? So um, those homeowners that 
generally are there um, that stayed. Um, they are now elderly and uh, have no resources in, in most instances to, to take care of some of the critical repairs. Mm-hmm. So we try to, at all costs, um, at least you know, on the surface, take care of any critical repairs that need to be um, done, such as plumbing, electrical, um, anything that's health and safety related. Um, so those become the priority. Um, there's usually the roof repairs or replacement. Um, and so those are the things that you want people to um, live comfortably and be safe. Um, and so those are the repairs that usually take precedence mm-hmm. above all. Um, and cosmetic is usually last, but um, then we usually have re- crews come in, volunteer crews come in and help with some of the cleanup and and cosmetic re- repairs. Like one we just uh, were just reporting on today, they they a crew came in and replaced the front sidewalk and steps to a home. Well, is that cosmetic or is that safety? It's I would argue it's safety yeah. <laughs> because both. some of it is sure. both, but sure. it helps the streetscape as mm-hmm. well. But uh, this is a home where the I saw the before pictures. The family could not safely enter their home through the front door, and so the front steps are now repaired in a way that the homeowner could could enter their home safely but it's also improving the neighborhood because it's improving the neighborhood in a way that you drive down the street and somebody wants to invest in the neighborhood so the third step is the new homes the the nazareth homes development is investing on the property that's cleared through blight elimination right now you've created a place in which somebody wants to invest in the neighborhood and you create new homes in the neighborhood in which Gosh, before the Nazareth Homes development, I don't know that there's been a new home, maybe one or two in the last 20 years that has been built in this North St. Louis neighborhood. And so you create new homes in the neighborhood, which which in, in turn creates economic development and an interest in, in, in creating investment uh, in that uh, neighborhood. After that, then there's other infrastructure that can be created. And one of the projects that we have in the hopper ready to go in this next year is creating a new pocket park in the community with a new play space in the community. The only place right now in the neighborhood that kids have to go to play other than just in the street is at the school playground. And the school playground gets locked at night. And so in the spring, as the kids want to get out and play with their friends and their family, where are you going to go? Uh, so here later on this fall, uh, hopefully if everything comes together and all the funding finally lines up the way it's supposed to, and we're very close on that one, uh, this new playground will be opened up for the kids in the neighborhood. And all of this is happening in a very concentrated place. I liken it to the metaphor of dropping a huge boulder right in the middle of a pond. And those ripples are going to start to to go out from there into the rest of the neighborhood. And those ripples that are actually the great part about our investment in the neighborhood, spurred on by this initial action by St. Paul Lutheran Church, finally, later on this summer and into the fall, we're actually going to be taking on a sponsoring with the residents and other stakeholders, the development of a more comprehensive community development plan. And that's going to answer the question of what next? After this really initial, very, very targeted investment in the neighborhood, the next question is, what next? What next to bring in new economic development? What next to spur on even more uh, business investment? What other partners can come into this North St. Louis neighborhood to, uh, to create an even brighter future uh, for, for mm-hmm. this once very proud and very vibrant uh, neighborhood? 
so that's that's what the multifaceted comprehensive plan that's been building uh, for a decade well it's been building for more than a decade it's just, it's been building for decades and decades it's just since 2007 that that lutheran housing support was invited in by the people of st paul lutheran church and and other stakeholders aside from the residents and the the church and the school what else is there in college hill just maybe are, are there many businesses i don't remember last time i was there seeing a lot of business in college hill maybe just one or two but i didn't i didn't venture through the whole neighborhood i should have i was out on, short on time while i was there there are a few businesses they have a whole commercial kind of district mm-hmm. of small businesses uh there is a pnc branch it's not exactly in college hill it's like a block away from college hill but PNC Bank has a branch there. There are other community service organizations, Humanitry, which is one of our RSOs. Um, they are physically located in College Hill. There is a um, Bryan Hill School, uh, it's elementary school. Uh, they have been a very active partner. Uh, and so there are other community organizations that serve the residents in the community. Um, and there's a business community, and then there's some small businesses as well. Um, so, but there should be more. Um, and so this neighborhood plan or this comprehensive development plan will at least provide some guidance and some direction on how do we how do we encourage that kind of investment for those other stakeholders to want to invest mm-hmm. in this community. Are there other areas where we've seen successes, even small successes in College Hill? Well, I'd say um, our, which we neglected to talk about, which is huge, is our safety initiative. Um, We have um, implemented several different uh, strategies to help improve either the perception of of safety and actually the real safety challenges that we have in the community. And so um, we have employed several different strategies um, over several years and it has contributed to, since we've been around, about a 40% decrease in crime. Um, and that's of all types of crime. Uh, but a 40% decrease in crime over the time that we have been involved um, and our partners have been involved. Um, we have built, so far, seven homes. Six are sold. Wow. And um, one still serves as a model home. So I invite anybody to come down and, and go through our model home. Uh, it is beautiful. <laughs> and um, But since we've started building, and that has been only since 2013, mm-hmm. so, um, since we've been building in 2013, we've seen an appreciation of praise values of about 25%. What did the, the breaking of ground for new buildings do at that time? What was the reaction of the, the, the neighborhood? When we started breaking ground and started building, they started seeing new homes go up. And then when a new home was built and up for sale, what what was the reaction of the neighborhood at that time? I would say giddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there have been lots of organizations that come to the community and over many, 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 many years um, because there are resources um, that have been available to help improve communities and they... Uh, make lots of empty prom. They have made lots of empty promises, and um, so we were then viewed as the just another organization. 
Um, although St. Paul's is there and has a physical presence, you know, there was just this um, apprehension. And so, of course, mm-hmm. you, so, you've, you, you've seen other organizations with good intentions, but not a lot of follow through. Right. I, I understand. And well, in so, fact, in fact, in 2013, there were th- three homes that were built. And in 2013, the groundbreaking giddiness and excitement and joy. And if if you th- then uh, and that was on the corner of college and Condi streets in, in College Hill. 2015 comes and in this last year we've built four and so you do the math from 2013 to 2015 there's a whole 18 months there of pretty much not much activity going on Mm -hmm. so even lutheran housing support uh, is starts to look a little bit like well are we just like everyone else or are we different from everyone else we looked pretty good there in 2013 we tore down a lot of buildings we took made a lot of headway but we made a lot of promises. Mm-hmm. Now in 2015, four new homes come in. And I, I was that's when I uh, had the blessing of coming on board with Lutheran Housing Support. And I was able to come to a, a several community meetings. And the joy that was, was evident at those meetings that, yeah, now this really means something. Right. Now there's four new homes coming in. And that's why this next coming year when we have four more homes coming on board. Now we're not just going from three houses of the promised 14. Now we got seven houses of the promised 14. Now we're going to be at 11 houses of the promised 14. Now we got neighbors that are coming on board saying, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, oh, you're one of those groups. You're not just a group that is making promises about the future. You're a group that's coming in that right. is actually making a difference in, in the neighborhood. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. I share it with you, Andy, even on a f- pretty much a uh, another, I think, interview that we had, uh, there's been some uh, excitement about who the Lutherans are and that we stay firm and we, we honor our commitments. Um, and even one quote, Carol Crenshaw, one of the long term resident she said you know we've received and we've had lots of people come in and then the lutherans came (laughs) and they they are walking hand in hand with us and um, transforming this community in the way that they said they would so (laughs) and that takes time that takes time and building relationships it's not something you just come in and do overnight and, and 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 flip uh, mm-hmm. something overnight, but rather building relationships. So that progress from 2007 to 2013, and then the, seeing those new houses, and then 2015 again, seeing more new houses, I think just builds on that foundation that's already been built. So what then are we looking forward to on April 28th? We have another groundbreaking uh, for, what are we breaking ground for this time? Yeah, so the, the the big joy coming up on April 28th is groundbreaking of the Blair Avenue homes. So there's, if you're not familiar with the College uh, Hill neighborhood, I invite you out on April 28th to get more familiar. Uh, the specific target area of the Nazareth Homes development is on the corners of College, Condi, and Blair streets. And the homes so far have been built on College and Condi. And then one block over is Blair Avenue. 
And uh, if you go to our Facebook page, you can see a couple of photos of before, thanks to Google Street View. You can see the houses that were there before. And blight elimination, wipe them clean. And now we have this clean slate in which over the next year, four new homes will be built on April 28th at 10 a.m. Uh, come out and be a part of the joy of breaking ground on the Blair Avenue homes. Uh, four homes this next year are for sure being slated for construction. Uh, and these homes are are not uh, particularly uh, designed to uh, to be um, well. I should say it more positively. They're designed to increase uh, the the value of the housing stock in the neighborhood. They're designed to fit into the proud history that was uh, the College Hill neighborhood. So uh, brick uh, fronts on the homes, and uh, several of them are going to be two-story homes that really do remind you of the historic homes that mm -hmm. have been in the neighborhood. And uh, so they will sit up top of actually Blair Avenue property have just a little bit of a rise to them. So as you come down the street, you can always you can already kind of imagine these homes sitting up on top of the hill and drawing your attention. Um, I don't think you'll be able to see them from Interstate 70, but it won't take much to drive down Blair Avenue from Grand and then see them sitting up tall and proud on top of the hill on Blair Avenue. For those uh, in the St. Louis area, those maybe moving, looking to move to the St. Louis area, give us an idea in terms of accessibility to the, the College Hill neighborhood from some of the, the major in interstates and, and, and making your way around St. Louis. Is College Hills uh, a convenient location in terms of getting to the interstates? Yeah, so you come out of downtown, uh, you come down on Interstate uh, 70 as you're coming out of downtown uh, north on Interstate 70, and you're getting off on Grand um, off of Interstate 70 uh, back towards uh, downtown, I guess, mm -hmm. um, and shortly you'll come to the... Uh, uh, Right before you come to the traffic circle, you'll get to Blair, and you'll be able to turn uh, to the right and come down Blair, and before you know it, you'll end up at the construction site. It couldn't be easier to get to these these particular homes. So is, um, yeah. I'm sorry, so it is close to downtown, um, and it's very close to the airport as well. So absolutely, absolutely. And, and for those who have been uh, tracking through the big economic development news in St. Louis, it's also very conveniently located to the new NGA uh, site, uh, development site in the North uh, City neighborhoods. Uh, so it's within just about a, a five-minute drive at the most of the new NGA site uh, that's going to be being built at the end of the San Musial Bridge there um, in North City neighborhoods. So uh, for those who want to be conveniently located to the NGA site, it's going to be perfectly situated to those as well. We have just about a minute left with the, the groundbreaking on Friday, April 28th. That's at 10 a.m. Is that right? Correct. What all is happening at the groundbreaking on Friday the 28th? Uh, the groundbreaking is going to be gathering all sorts of dignitaries, we hope, from the city and from the church, and then following the groundbreaking tour of the tar targeted neighborhood, as well as the model homes and the exterior of the completed homes, uh, simply because uh, we don't build houses and hope they sell. We build homes for the homeowners that have already purchased those homes. Mm -hmm. So uh, up and down the neighborhood and see the impact that we've already had in those neighborhoods. So I encourage you to come out. And for those of you who have really busy schedules, we'll have you on your way no later than 11, 1130 at the latest on that morning. 
Do we need to RSVP? You don't have to, but we sure would love to to make sure you RSVP so we can get you any more detailed information like directions or parking or any kind of that kind of help. It would be great so we can make sure. So just send me an RSVP, john.albers at lcms.org. That way I can answer any questions ahead of time. john.albers at lcms.org for the groundbreaking of Nazareth Homes College Hill on the Blair Avenue groundbreaking Friday, April 28th. Thanks to our friends from Lutheran Housing Support, Nicole Ridley. Thanks so much for being here this morning. And thank you for inviting us. The Reverend John Albers, thanks so much for being my guest this morning. Thank you, sir. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.